0: The stimulus is here, people, and most of you can come back and enjoy getting back $1,400 of what is mostly considered your own money, and I will take the time and enjoy cutting up a check and mailing a letter back to the government that says, fuck you, you don't have the money to cover this. In other news, Austin and the state of Texas get into a tussle over mask mandates, among other things, so we'll talk a bit about what's going on there. Investigations into the 2016 election and some funky stuff start to show up and some people might get implicated and some other people might be walking away from it. So we'll talk a bit about there. Plus we'll do a thing that I like and a thing that I hate and a data center in France that has burned to the ground with uncover uh, recoverable data. And we'll talk a bit about what's going on in that. I'm Jay Edgar and this is Contemporary. Alright folks, looks like we're going to have a couple technical issues up on the back end here, so we'll see if we can get those ironed out while we're up on the air here. Okay, it does look like we have the chat moving back once again, so that is one good improvement here. But, welcome to Contemporary. My name is Jay Edgar. We're going to power through this here because we have got 28 more tabs to go through on news today. A bunch of stuff to talk about, and a bunch of stuff that's happening that probably should have happened all the way back in October, November, December, but We'll cover all of that here, plus thing that I like and thing that I hate today. So it's going to be all that and more. Before we get started, I just wanted to point out, and remember, I said yesterday that I am not going to do anything with the royal family stuff just because I don't care. You see, way back in 1776, this nation went through a full revolution, so we don't have to give a fuck what people in Britain think and what the crown in England thinks. And yet, this is all that's been all over the news yesterday. I don't care. We're probably going to talk a bit about it on the Red Net show on Monday, but, you know, I really don't. But this uh, political cartoon I found yesterday kind of explains how I feel about the whole thing and, you know, what I think is actually happening here. Schumer and Pelosi in the dead of night with their $2 trillion blue state bailout and say, hey, look, it's Meghan and Harry. So, that's, that's pretty well where uh, I sit on this whole thing with the royal family here. So thought you guys would enjoy that. Let's look at the stocks. But before we do that, make sure that you head on over to bookmarkfreedomscoop.com. And while we're still under construction, head over and check out my friends, The Generational Gap, The Daily Ignoramus, The Breakdown with Birkenhoff, The R-rated Conservative, and The Freckles and Brit Show. Head on over there. Prepare to pick up some of our swag and help us support great creators, and go and support my friends while we're under construction, while we're getting everything set up, and while we're ready to make the best website possible for you guys, so definitely looking forward to presenting that out to you guys. Looking on the Dow, looks like we hit a record again yesterday. The Dow, after being down a little bit, is now up 1.46% over yesterday's close, so it had a nice update, and you know, investors are coming in, especially on the retail side, thinking, "Well, people are just going to burn through the stimulus check, so uh, let's make sure we invest in some of the retail, so we get a little bit of a kickback off of that." Then, once again, the rich are going to go and get richer because, well, you know, there are going to be some people with uh, with their 401ks invested in what's coming out of retail here. But for the most part, looking at this, the people who are going to make out from a bandit or like a bandit rather from this are going to be the investors, but. We'll watch what happens and we'll see if it has the staying power to jump, uh, stay up or if it drops like a fucking stone. Reading from IBD. Dow Jones futures. Tech futures soar as bond yields fall after Dow flashes bullish signal. From Ed Carson. Dow Jones futures and S&P 500 futures rose Thursday morning while NASDAQ futures jumped treasury yields, uh, fell further as the European Central Bank signaled even more aggressive asset buys. Chinese e-commerce giant JD.com popped on booming growth. The stock market rally attempt had another split session on Wednesday. The Dow Jones rallied to a record high as the Biden stimulus bill cleared Congress, with Boeing breaking out. Meanwhile, the Nasdaq erased strong gains to close fractionally lower, despite Treasury yields falling for a second straight session. The stock market arguably is both an uptrend and a correction, with the Dow Jones and real economy names thriving while the tech-led Nasdaq slumps. Can a stock market divided stand for an extended period? Well, we're going to find out. And when the market is going in one direction, which direction will that be? I've got my predictions, but we'll, I'll, I'll give the market the benefit of the doubt. JD.com reported early Thursday, earnings shot up 188%, easily beating views. Revenue rose 40% to $34.4 billion. With growth accelerating for a third straight quarter, JD.com stock jumped, signaling a move back above its 50-day moving average. Oracle reported earnings late Wednesday, along with recent dating site IPO Bumble and Cloudera. Oracle earnings topped views while revenue grew 3%, the best in years, with the software giant adding $20 billion. Oracle stock fell sharply in Thursday's pre-market, signaling a move back into a buy zone from an early March breakout. Bumble reported strong revenue and user growth and a solid outlook. Bumble stock was buzzing overnight after falling sharply since the second day of trading, Cloudera stock retreated on weak full-year guidance. As for real economy names, Dow Jones giant Boeing cleared a buy point on Wednesday. DR Horton and Flagstar Bancorp are in buy zones with Treasury yields retreating. CF Industries is also actionable. Meanwhile, GameStop and other short-squeeze plays continued their wild ride. While the Bitcoin price is closing on record highs, Roblox has a strong debut. Yeah, the video game I guess popped in and decided that they wanted to be publicly traded. I I didn't know that Roblox was an independent entity. I thought it was a part of a bigger studio that was already publicly traded. But you know, I don't know a whole lot about new video games because uh, the old potato over here doesn't handle new games very well, given the um, setup of its graphics card and the oldest console or the newest console rather that I have. The oldest is a Super Nintendo. The newest console that I have is a GameCube, so yeah, I don't necessarily have uh, a lot of knowledge in modern games. CF Stock is part of the IBD leaderboard, and Swing Trader CF Industries was Wednesday's IBD Stock of the Day. Flagstar was also a recent Stock of the Day selection. We will talk a bit about the stimulus later. On the futures, Dow Jones futures rose 0.3% versus fair value. Boeing stock, offering a boost, S&P 500 futures advanced 0.7%. NASDAQ 100 futures soared 1.9%. The 10-year Treasury yield dipped 1.49% following two days of declines. Yields extended the losses after European Central Bank said it expects to make significantly higher bond purchases in the second quarter. And remember... Overnight action in Dow Futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. Let's see what CNBC has to say about all this. Probably a bunch of good stuff. They like the government over at CNBC, especially with Mr. Biden in place. NASDAQ Futures jump as tech shares gain. Dow looks set to add to record from Yoon Lee and Jesse Pound. U.S. stock futures on Thursday rose after the market's blue-chip average set another record high a day earlier. Futures contracts for the Dow Jones Industrial Average added 100 points, or 0.3%. S&P 500 futures climbed 0.7%. The big winner, however, was the tech-heavy NASDAQ 100, with futures jumping 2%. Which is astounding, because we haven't seen anything like that since, well, April. April. You know, that fun period of time where they were hitting the circuit breaker every single day, whether going up or going down on the futures because we can't let it go too big or too small. Too small. The move in futures came after the Dow jumped 464 points to a record closing high on Wednesday. The S&P 500 rose 0.6% while the NASDAQ composite ticked down slightly as the rotation away from growth stocks resumed. A rotation back into tech shares appeared to be happening early Thursday. Tesla was up 4% in pre-market trading. Apple jumped 2%, while Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, Microsoft shares were all at least 1% higher. The 10-year Treasury yield slide for the second day, helping sentiment. The 10-year yield was down uh, last about 3 basis points to 1.49%. One basis point is 0.01%. Wednesday's gains came as the House passed the $1.9 trillion stimulus package, sending it to President Joe Biden, who has no idea what he's reading, but he's going to sign it anyway, and while the bond market digested a $38 billion auction of 10-year Treasury bonds without a spike in volatility. Rising interest rates accelerated the rotation away from tech and growth stocks in recent weeks and into more cyclical sectors such as energy. Higher rates make profits in far-off years seem less attractive to investors and can knock down stocks with relatively high valuations. The faster-than-expected acceleration of U.S. economic growth appears to be lifting inflation and long-term interest rates, Gary Schlossberg from the Wells Fargo Investment Institute said in a note. The pace of these increases have been a recent concern to investors, but a recovery in interest rates and inflation is typical occurrence Early in a recover, faster this time, in our opinion, because of the unusually strong economic growth rebound. This week has been stronger for the growth stocks overall, however, as a surge for the NASDAQ on Tuesday pulled the index out of correction territory, the Invesco QQQ Trust, which tracks the NASDAQ 100, is up slightly for the week after falling the previous three weeks. On the data front, investors will get two new reads on the labor market recovery Thursday. Last week's initial jobless claims number will be released at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time, with economists surveyed by Dow Jones expecting 725,000 new claims. So, once again, somehow the markets are going way, way up, and we're still losing almost a million jobs a week. I don't trust these numbers for a second, but, you know, maybe the Maybe we'll see the stimulus come in and all of a sudden everybody looks up and says, I got $1,400. I'm going to start me a new business. But we're going to see what happens there. Let's get into the big news of the day, starting out with, as promised, ABC7 out of New York. Third stimulus check update. Expect $1,400 payments soon after Biden signs COVID relief bill. Unemployment aid child tax credit come later. Because they want to get that money into your hands, so you go out and spend it, so they've got jobs to send people back to. The $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill that President Biden championed even before taking office is expected to land on his desk in the coming days. While the $1,400 stimulus payments could hit the people's bank accounts within days of Biden signing the bill, the extension of federal unemployment benefits along with enhanced child tax credit and more generous Affordable Care Act subsidies may take a few weeks or even months to arrive. People could start seeing the $1,400 stimulus payments hit their bank accounts within days of Biden signing the bill. The stimulus payments are expected to go out starting this month, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki told reporters on Tuesday. For the previous pandemic stimulus bill, the Internal Revenue Service started sending out the second round of payments that were worth up to $600 three days after then-President Donald Trump signed that bill in late December. But it's possible that the tax filing season, which is currently underway, could slow down the process this time. Yeah, you remember when we were all promised that uh, hey, if you just go out and, and vote for Warnock and and Ossoff in Georgia, then then you'll you know what? You'll have those. Uh, you'll have those checks on on the twenty first, okay? And and I'll I'll get Corn Pop to push the IRS to come out and push those out as fast as they can. The payments do not go out all at once. Those whose bank information is on file with the IRS would likely get the money first because it would be directly deposited into their accounts. And if you have your bank account information on file with the IRS, I am sorry. Yes, it's convenient. Yes, you can get that instant refund as soon as they uh, cut it back out, but I'm sorry. After what we saw with uh, the government shutting down businesses left and right, if you have your banking information on file with the government, you are out of your mind. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to come out and tell you what to do, but that is the last group of people I would trust with my bank account information. They have had to mail me a check for all three of these stimuli. And they get snipped up and they get sent back. Which means somebody else had to go file all that paperwork too. Still, with millions of people, could be at risk of missing out because the IRS doesn't know how to reach them, an estimated 8 million eligible uh, people did not get the first stimulus payment, worth up to $1,200, which was approved last year, and delivered over the spring and summer while most people received the money automatically. Very low-income people who don't normally file tax returns may have to take an extra step to register online or file a 2020 tax return. Interesting. This time, individuals earning less than $75,000 and couples earning less than 150000 would receive the full $1,400 payment plus an additional $1,400 per dependent. That's a bunch of fucking money. Still doesn't make what we saw in the Congressional Budget Office uh, propaganda chart, but that is a bunch of money. But the third round of checks would phase out faster than earlier payments, completely cutting off individuals who earn more than $80,000 a year and married couples earning more than $160,000, regardless of how many children they have. The stimulus bill continues the existing $300 weekly federal jobless boost and two key pandemic unemployment programs through September 6th. When it comes to unemployment benefits, there's little time to waste. More than 11 million Americans are set to start seeing their pandemic unemployment benefits lapse this weekend, and you know, maybe they'll go out and start looking for a job. The exact timing would depend on when federal departments can write the guidelines and how long it takes them and state agencies to then implement the new provisions. Some states say they expect to be able to continue sending out the benefits without pause, as long as they don't have to make many changes to their unemployment systems. If President Biden signs the bill soon and there are no additional program requirements in the bill, we should be able to implement the extensions without any interruption in payments, said Kersha Cartwright, a spokeswoman for Georgia's Department of Labor. That is a lot of assumptions, though. Unlike the relief package, Congress approved in December this legislation could be signed before any laid-off workers would run out of benefits. And there are far fewer changes than in the prior bill," said Andrew Stetner, the senior fellow at the Century Foundation. So, in all of this, we're looking at it. We're this is what we're seeing from this. We're looking along, and we're seeing that uh, okay. Everybody's going to get their money, and everyone's going to be happy. But hey, how could you dare not have your bank account information on file? Because we can't send it. We can't save you. The nine scariest words in the English language. I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. But furthermore, yes, it's it's all a timing thing, and we're also looking at the fact that people are going to start running out of unemployment at some point, too. So, a lot of things to go here, but for the most part, people keep saying, well, they're just giving my money back. No, this is not your money. This never was your money. This money came from the People's Republic of China, mostly, who set up and starting to buy bonds and several European banks who are doing the same, going out and buying bonds. We are going further into debt for the stimulus bill on a year where our GDP dropped like a fucking stone because nobody could go to work because they might catch the commie fucking coup. This is all a house of cards at this point And you know, like I said, $1,400 would go a long way in this house. I live in Wisconsin. That's Three quarters of a month's worth of wages for me. But I know the government doesn't have the money to cover it. And furthermore, as I always say, nothing comes out of the government that doesn't have a gigantic hook buried in it. So, no, I have no interest in taking any of this money. I've worked the whole time. Now, if I was starving, it would be a completely different story. If I was out of a job had no idea where my next meal was coming from, and on the cusp of having to go back and move in with mommy and daddy, it'd be a completely different story. But I haven't missed a single day of work. In fact, they're trying to get me to work more. I go in and ask if I can have a day off to clean my kitchen or something because I work two jobs, and I get told, no, I'm not allowed to do that because we need you here. So, if anything, under this, uh, under this pandemic, I've worked more, but... Yeah, that's what we see. And it's all going to collapse at some point. All right, I got a couple tweets here that we can look at. Hmm, I wonder why that is, but we'll see. But let's have a look at this. Um, Oh, that's Mitch McConnell. That's him talking about the... Uh, Stimulus, that's why I had that one in there. I was a little confused on myself. On-air production is the best production, though. Uh, Leader McConnell, President Pardon, spending bail is a classic example of big Democratic overreach in the name of COVID relief. It manages to spend only less than 1% on vaccinations and less than 9% on the entire health fight. This is by far one of the worst pieces of legislation I've seen in the Senate. Well,
1: good afternoon, everyone. Um... President will soon be signing the $1.9 trillion dollar stimulus bill. I think the most distinct features are the following. Number one, it solved New York's budget problem. So finally, some good news for Governor Cuomo. Uh, <laughs> Senator Schumer has solved his financial issues. Uh, they've also, by the way, solved the financial problems of San Francisco. They've also prevented state governments from lowering taxes. This is a classic example of big government democratic overreach in the name of COVID relief. And we all know that what we should have been doing and would have been done had this been a bipartisan discussion instead of a jam the other side approach is five or six hundred billion dollars directly targeted at the problem. But of course, the $1.9 trillion problem, as we said repeatedly, the $1.9 trillion package, as we said repeatedly, only had about 1 percent or less for vaccines, 9 percent or less for health care. So I think this is actually one of the worst pieces of legislation I've seen pass here in the time I've been in the Senate. Uh, We believe that the American people need to learn more and more about it. uh, And we're going to see that they do that in the coming months as we talk repeatedly about the provisions in the bill that the Democrats do not want to discuss.
0: That's me. That was on me. apologize for that. So anyway, that's what McConnell has to say about that and I mean he's absolutely right and we looked over at and I've showed you the chart from the CBO where it says 424 billion dollars is going to uh, is going into the checks that are going out to people, but sending it to 330 uh, million people, a $1400 check is only 465 billion. It doesn't math. There's money hidden here somewhere that's not going to relieve the people. And if they're willing to lie about that uh, section of it, what else are they lying about on this bill? And I give Senator Ron Johnson credit for forcing that to be read on the House floor, or I'm sorry, the Senate floor. Because anybody who's intrepid and goes over and watches C-SPAN can actually go and see exactly what's in it because it was all read out loud. I believe it took them six hours to read through the entire thing. On the floor, out loud. So... Thank you, McConnell, for that. All right. Speaking of what's going on in the House and Senate, Quentin Forgy uh, uh, tweets out, Senator Mike Lee says, For the People Act, this bill is written... This is a bill as if written in hell by the devil himself. Um, Mike, antidote for BS, tweets back, Mike Lee doesn't want black people to vote, period. Long voting lines aren't in the suburbs. Shortened voting hours do not impact office workers. The reduction in voting options do not impact those with cars and free time. Ever-changing idea requirements are today's jelly bean jars. And honestly, on that, I do have to say this. It's first and foremost, in your state, most likely, your municipality is the one who sets the voting requirements, the polling places and the hours, not the state government and not the federal government. So what some senator, some obscure senator in Utah has to say about this really doesn't affect long voting lines or shortened voting hours. That's where you have to go and start talking to your mayor and your aldermen. But hey, let's uh, let's get intelligent people to go back and admit that they're wrong. But I wanted to point that out here. Let's talk and see what uh, Mike Lee had to say. Aaron Rupar has the audio for us. Everything about this bill is rotten to the core. This is a bill as if written in hell by the devil himself. Uh, This takes all sorts of decisions that the federal government really has no business making. It takes them away from the states, makes them right here in Washington, D.C. by Congress. Everything about this bill is rotten to the core. This is a bill as if as if written in hell by the devil himself, which, I mean, yeah, that's a a way to put it. And we've gone over what's in H.R. 1. It's almost 9,000 pages. No chance to pass in the Senate whatsoever. It will not get past the filibuster. And from what I've seen from it, it looks to me like it's just the big ask. It's the big, uh, well, this is what we're going to do, and look. The 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 Republicans aren't for the people. They they voted against the For the People Act, and nobody's ever going to know what's in this thing unless you sit down with nine thousand pages of legislation. And hmm, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Hmm, yeah. So let's see what the Hill has to say about this one. Mike Lee says For the People voting bill is as writ uh, if written by the written yeah. That's a tongue twister because that's the second time I've tripped over that one. Mike Lee says for the people voting bill is as if written in hell by the devil himself from heirs folly. Senator Mike Lee on Wednesday issued a harsh rebuke of the sweeping election reform bill passed by the House earlier this month in order to, um, that advocates and Democrats say is necessary in order to protect Americans voting rights. I think I disagree with every single word in H.R. 1, including the words but, and, and the, Leek said during an uh, appearance on Fox and Friends on Wednesday, when pressed for his thoughts on the For the People Act, also known as H.R. 1. Everything about this bill is rotten to the core. This is a bill as if written in hell by the devil himself, he continued, saying that he thinks the bill, if signed into law, would amount to an overreach by the federal government and take away all sorts of decisions from the states. Yes. And that's what I said as soon as I heard about this thing, is that's going to take all kinds of decisions away from the states. That's wrong. It's really wrong. It's bad policy, he also said. The White House has pushed strongly for this bill, which has passed the House along party lines earlier this month, saying it's urgently needed to protect the right to vote and the integrity of our elections after what is referred to as a newly aggressive attack on voting rights taking place right now all across the country. Here's my theory, since there's already theories going along in the chat and people are talking about uh, conspiracy theories that might be common knowledge. I look at this and I look at the fact that now Milwaukee last election came out and said, Oh, well, oh, we suddenly have to, it's, it's, because, of the, uh, it's the, because of the coup we have to shut down. This voting location and this voting location and this voting location. Oh, sorry, I guess you're going to have to stand in a long line. And Dane County did the same thing. I've heard the same thing out of Atlanta, Chicago. I've heard the same thing out of all these big Democrat-run cities. And like I said, your polling places, your voting hours, and your precincts are determined by your municipality because then they figure out who is supposed to be on your bill, who is supposed to represent you in your various municipality districts. It's the municipality that decides how you vote how long the lines are and what your polling places are. Not a senator from Utah. And I have to wonder if some of these aldermen are trying to artificially inflate the lines, knowing that people are going to turn out, but make the longer lines, in order to come out and say, well, see, now the federal government has to get involved because these evil Republicans in the state house they're just making this harder for you. And hey, hey, make sure you vote for me. So I do have to wonder about that, but then your average voter doesn't know who set your average voter doesn't know how any of this system works. They just know that they have to go in and check the box that says D next to it because that's what the people on the TV told them to do. And one of the things that I want to do with this channel is try to see if I can get more people involved in the process and more people understanding how all of this shit works. All right, but that's what we have to say about that. Let's keep going. From Fox News. McCarthy asks Pelosi when Capitol uh, will return to pre-pandemic normal for proxy voting, tours, masks, and more. From Tyler Olson. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy on Wednesday asked the House Speaker a series of questions on when the Capitol will begin to get back to normal after coronavirus pandemic, including proxy voting and public access to the building. The Capitol is under militarized security following the January 6th attack on the building by a pro-Trump mob, but it hasn't been open to the public for nearly a year since the pandemic began to spread through the United States, shutting down the economy and forcing tens of millions to work from home. McCarthy of California citing progress on the vaccines and drops in cases around the country asked Pelosi on Wednesday when she would begin taking steps to bring the Capitol back to its pre-pandemic operations. And we'll go and read that letter in just a sec. I've got that queued up. Nearly a year ago to the day you made the decision to close the capital to visitors and began implementing new protocols to govern access and movement of the members and staff of the capital complex, McCarthy said in a letter. But since that time, we have learned more about the virus and made monumental strides in our scientific and technological endeavors. Among the areas of progress, McCarthy said, are vaccines with significant uh, efficacy rates, dropping coronavirus cases and death rates and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention guidance, allowing those who are fully vaccinated to be more relaxed in following social distancing and masking rules. And to date, roughly 75% of the House members have been fully vaccinated, or will be by the end of this week, McCarthy said. He then asked Pelosi when she plans on ending the new House practice of proxy voting, which was put in place to limit potential virus spread among the members, bring committees back to in-person work, allow public visitors on the Capitol and uh, nearby office buildings, and relax face mask rules on the House floor. Well, Pelosi's probably going to look at this and say, well, when am I going to do this? Okay. Somewhere between what's today? Thursday? Somewhere between now and fucking never. All right, let's have a look at what the letter looked like, though. Come on, think faster. Maybe we won't have a look at what the letter looked like. There it goes. Wake up. Dear Speaker Pelosi, the past year has been incredibly challenging for all Americans. This pandemic has claimed far too many lives and livelihoods already. While well, <clears throat> well, millions more suffer as businesses and schools remain closed around the country. Nearly a year ago to the day you made the decision to close the Capitol to visitors and begin implementing new protocols to govern access and movement of the members of staff of the Capitol complex, but since that time we have learned more about the virus and made monumental strides in our scientific and technological endeavors. Today, we have multiple vaccines with significant efficacy rates, COVID-19 cases and deaths are falling nationally, and experts predict a return to normalcy maybe closer than we think. Just this week, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released new guidelines easing masks and social distancing for the nearly 32 million Americans who are fully vaccinated and to date, roughly 75% of House members have been fully vaccinated or will be by the end of the week. With this information and more at your disposal, as the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, I pose you the same question I posed a year ago. What is your plan to reopen the People's House specifically? Yeah, dude, he called her out on this. And what what is the plan? Because that is, that's that that is our house. We pay for that with the taxes. We should have access to that. This isn't the monarchy where the government and the royalty has things that only they have access to we should have open access to everything and yet here we sit with razor wire and occupied military forces in the capital making sure nobody gets anywhere close to anything and al green sitting out on the steps saying do to do hey look i can sit down on the steps because there is A 10 foot high razor wire fence and 10,000 National Guard troops sitting out here. Look at me! I can virtue signal. But that's where we're at with that. Let's keep going. Out of Texas. From the people who brought you no water and no electricity, no masks. Read my statement and continue with a painful gift from the office. Let's see what's going on with that. From KVUE ABC, out of Austin. Austin Mayor Steve Adler responds to Texas lawsuit over COVID-19 restrictions. This is video only. Okay, never mind. Because we're not going to watch all of this video here. But we can read the statement itself. From the desk of Mayor Adler... Today, the executive order issued by Governor Greg Abbott on March 3rd takes effect. The order rescinds all statewide COVID-19 safety protocols, including masking. It also allows bars, restaurants, and businesses to open to 100% capacity just before the start of spring break. Texas AG Ken Paxton also sent a letter to Austin Mayor Steve Adler and Travis County Judge Andy Brown threatening legal action if Austin does not rescind the rules promulgated by Austin's health authority to mitigate any I'm sorry, and reduce the transmission of the virus. The governor told cities that he did not have to adopt a statewide mask mandate because cities already had sufficient enforcement mechanisms. They just need to find and execute on them. When Austin took this action last summer, the city's health authority rules were consistent with the governor's policy. Judge Brown and I will continue to do everything within our power, continuing existing health authority orders, and using every tool available to us to reduce the spread of the virus, to keep as many people alive as possible, to safely open up schools to more in-person learning, and safely more businesses. We will fight Governor Abbott uh, Abbott and AG Paxton's assault against doctors and data for as long as we possibly can. And really, honestly, I don't see what the fuck the problem is with this. Governor Abbott has rescinded the mask mandate for the state of Texas. The entire state, you can go back and do whatever the hell you want. And we talked about this on Monday when John was uh, sitting in over on the Red and Ned show too. The businesses are allowed to open up to 100%. They're allowed to tell people they don't have to wear masks. They are allowed To open up to full capacity. But they don't have to. If a business leader looks at this and says, well, I'm still afraid of the virus, I think 25% is still a good capacity. So I'm going to keep the tables blocked off. We're still going to regularly sanitize everything. And I'm going to force mask wearing in my business. They can do that. And also, like I said, just concerning this whole thing, when Texas decided they were going to come up and Get rid of the masks. I believe it was. I think somebody asked Jessica Green, or she responded to something. It came to my attention as to why people are so mad about the fact that there's mask mandates out there. Why are we so mad at the mask? Was the exact question, and I said, I'm not. I'm not mad at the mask. I'm mad at the government telling us that's what we have to do because it shouldn't be the government's decision. And the big thing with the masking and the government coming down and doing the mask mandates is that before the mask, uh, there was mandates to this, people were still going out and wearing masks and they were getting ridiculed for it. I was silently making fun of a few people who were doing it. But moreover, some businesses said, okay, well, you have to wear a mask to come, uh, come in my building. And some were saying, you know what? I really don't care. And more people were flocking to the ones that really didn't care. And people were avoiding at all costs going to the ones that were requiring it. And on that, the people were choosing winners and losers and they were moving in on the government's territory because it's the government's job to pick winners and losers. Depending on who donates to the government. So, yeah, I don't know why this is an issue. If if Mayor Adler wants to have a mask mandate in Austin, that's completely within his purview. As long as his mandate is more stringent than the state's, it is completely within his purview. So, we'll see what happens there. I've got one here from NBC News. Biden announced his plan to purchase additional 100 million Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine doses. The agreement will ensure the U.S. has more than uh, enough for every adult in the U.S. to protect against the virus. Well, they'll have one extra, I can tell you that. I'm still not taking the fucking thing. From Jeff Bennett and Shannon Pettypiece. President Joe Biden announced plans Wednesday to purchase an d- additional 100 million doses of the single dose Johnson Johnson COVID 19 vaccine, giving the U.S. more than enough supply to vaccinate the entire U.S. population. I'm, I'm doing this because in, in this wartime effort. He had to go to war, didn't he? We need maximum flexibility. There's always a chance that we'll encounter unexpected challenges, or that there'll be new need for vaccine effort," Biden said during a meeting with executives from pharmaceutical companies Johnson & Johnson and Merck. "A lot can happen, man. A lot can change, and we need to be prepared," Biden said. This month, the U.S. was on track to have enough vaccine doses for every adult in the country to get vaccinated by the end of May, after the FDA gave clearance for the use of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. White House senior advisor on COVID response Andy Slavitt said it was too early to say when the additional doses would become available. This order allows for the president to plan for the future and the latter part of the year, said Slavitt. This this is wartime. And no, it's Slavitt, that's not Biden. And as facts still emerge, it gives us maximum flexibility for our upcoming needs. So, the government's taking your tax money and purchasing many more vaccines. And if you want to get one, Go and get one. But I'm not going and get one. All right, I've got one from USA Today, Archive of Course. CDC, Dollar General Exploring Partnership to Speed Up COVID nineteen vaccine rollout from Nathan Bomey. U.S. health officials are exploring partnership with Dollar General, one of the nation's largest retailers, to accelerate the COVID-19 vaccine rollout in the nation's rural areas. The CDC is in talks with uh, Dollar General, Uh, Director Rochelle Walensky said on Tuesday. Dollar General does not have pharmacies, but it has more than 16,000 locations. That's about three times the number of locations as Walmart, and more than half as many as CVS and Walgreens, all three of which are delivering COVID-19 vaccines at some of their pharmacy locations. In rural areas, residents often don't have access to big-box stores, Walensky said. Yeah, they do. They might have to drive a little bit, but they they go to the big-box stores all the time. I've got a feeling that Walensky never lived in a rural area in her life. At the Health Action Alliance's Virtual National Business Summit, we're exploring a promising collaboration with Dollar General stores, which have locations that include refrigeration capacity within 10 or 15 miles of rural communities in all but four states. Yeah, and uh, here in Wisconsin, over in uh, Rock County, there's a small community called Orfordville, and if you're driving down uh, Highway 11, There's like nothing for miles. There's no house for miles. It's all surrounded by Farm Field. And then just randomly as you're driving down 11, there's a Dollar General out of nowhere. So yes, I can't actually see what, what Walensky is saying here, but yeah, people go to Walmart and CVS all the time. All the time. And even then in the rural community, there's still usually a pharmacy right there. So maybe Walensky should uh, take some time and spend some time in a rural area. But hey, they're teaming up with Dollar General. So I don't think the vaccine's going to cost you a dollar. But hey, you'll see. All right. From my neck of the woods here, Wisconsin Spotlight. Special investigation infiltrating the election from M.D. Kittle. When Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg and his wife handed out hundreds of millions of dollars last year for a national safe voting initiative, the donation was heralded as vital support to protect American elections and bolster democracy through the pandemic. But what that grant money really purchased in battleground states like Wisconsin was the infiltration of the November presidential election by liberal groups and Democratic activists, according to hundreds of pages of emails and other documents obtained by Wisconsin Spotlight. In the city of Green Bay, which received a total of $1.6 million in grant funding from the Zuckerberg-funded Center for Tech and Civic Life, a grant mentor who has worked for several Democratic Party candidates, was given access to boxes of absentee ballots before the election. Michael Spitzer-Rubinstein, Wisconsin state lead for the National Vote at Home Institute, in many ways became the de facto city elections chief. The email show Green Bay's... Highly partisan Democratic Mayor Eric Genrich and his staff out-usurping the city clerk Chris Teske's authority and letting the Zuckerberg-funded grant team take over, a clear violation of Wisconsin election statutes, say election law experts. And the liberal groups were improperly insinuating themselves into the election system and coordinating with what became known as Wisconsin Five, the state's five largest communities that split more than $6 million in Zuckerberg money. Wonder what they are. Probably, if I had a guess, Green Bay, Milwaukee, Madison, Kenosha, and Eau Claire, maybe? Probably. The emails expose dangers of handing over the administrative keys to private, fair election groups with clear political agendas. State Representative Janelle Branchin of Menominee Falls, who chairs the Assembly Committee, On campaigns and elections, said the Green Bay emails, first obtained by State Rep Shea Sortwell through an open records request, will be front and center at the hearing before the Elections Committee on Wednesday. Going forward, if we don't address them, I think we have a breakdown in Wisconsin's political system, said Brantgen. I do have to wonder at this point, I really do, what does happen if it comes out and they find out that there was, there were problems, and I'm... I mean, don't forget that everything in this election was completely above board and nothing bad happened, wink-wink-honk-honk, that Biden is the most popular president ever, far surpassing the vote total that Barack Obama got, wink-wink-honk-honk. But I do have to wonder what does happen at this point if we're a year into a term and it comes to find out that in a completely vacuum hypothetical situation, That couldn't possibly happen because everything in the 2020 election was completely above board. But what would happen if in some hypothetical election far, far away somewhere, they found out a year into the term that the president who was elected most popular ever and nothing bad happened actually wasn't elected? I have to wonder what happens at that point, honk. And we might get to see that because, I mean, the vice president... Presumably the vice president would take over, but the vice president ran on the same ticket, so the presidency would be just as illegitimate. I shudder to say that I believe in that situation we it would be President Pelosi. Do we elected speaker of the house next in line behind the two who would be removed, but I don't think we have a constitutional provision for this. But I bet you we're going to figure it out. But yeah, it looks like there's some uh, some bullshit going on here. I've got another one on the same topic here from WBAY.com. Also out of Green Bay, Wisconsin Senators call for... Scroll back up. Call for Genrich's resignation investigation of how November election was handled. From WBA News Staff. A Wisconsin state senator is demanding an investigation into how Green Bay Mayor Eric Genrich and the city handled November's general election amid calls by a Republican Wisconsin lawmaker for Genrich to resign. And once again, remember the fact that, uh, yes, these, uh, these elections are all handled at the municipal level. It's not at the state level. Senator Eric Wimberger of Green Bay released a statement referencing an article from a conservative website which obtained email showing an outside consultant who was paid by grant funding and was provided access to ballots and keys to the city's central count location at the KI Convention Center. Wimberger's statement came after Wisconsin State Senator Roger Roth of Appleton called on Genrich to resign earlier in the day, who also cited the same article. Roth says the article shows an effort between Genrich, his chief of staff, Celestine Jeffries, and others to influence the 2020 elections in Green Bay. The article alleges that Genrich ceded the authority for running the elections to paid consultant with ties to Facebook co-founder Mark Zuckerberg. The consultant had been pre-approved by the state with uh, help in the elections in the pandemic, however, the former city clerk and Brown County clerk did raise concerns about the consultant's involvement. As previously reported, Action 2 News found Brown County sh- uh, clerk Sandy Juno sent an email to the Wisconsin Elections Commission raising concerns about an observer at the city's central county through an open records request in the email sent to WEC staff council nathan Judnick on election day juno said she believed the central county location is tainted by the influence of a person working for an outside organization affecting the election yeah definitely some stuff going on here definitely some stuff to watch so we'll see what happens here we'll see where this goes and like i said the big question is going to be what does happen if it comes out that uh No, it couldn't come out because definitely this was the freest, most fair, safest, most secure election ever in the history of man. And Joe Biden is the most popular president ever, in spite of the fact that he has to have razor wire around the White House constantly to make sure nobody comes in after him. Speaking of voters and voting... From NTD, five people charged with voter fraud in Illinois, D.A.'s office from Jack Phillips. Five people are being accused of various election fraud-related cases during the November 3rd election, according to the DePage County State's Attorney's Office in Illinois. The State's Attorney's Office said the charges stem from investigations into 32 cases of alleged election fraud, adding that most of the cases have been closed without investigation. However, the office stressed that several remain under investigation, according to a news release on Sunday. I don't know if I can even read this on YouTube. This might get me shut down because I am suggesting somewhere out there that there may be some impropriety in the safest and most secure election in history. Wink, wink, honk, honk. Those who were charged include Colleen A. Kirchhoff of Naperville, Thomas E. Wojewski of Carroll Stream, and Adam P. Butler. Kirchhoff was uh, charged with forgery and perjury after she allegedly attempted to cast a ballot for someone else. Officials said in a news release, Butler was charged with a count of forgery and one count of perjury in election code, while Wojcicki was charged with one count of perjury in election code. Officials said, Two others, Derek Kent and Amy Kent of Austin, Texas, were charged with one count of perjury in the election code. I would like to thank County Clerk Jean Kasmerik and her office for the fine work in uncovering these alleged violations and bringing them to our attention, to Page County State's Attorney. Robert Berlin said in the release. The charges filed today are the direct results of the cooperation and professionalism displayed by the clerk's office throughout the entire investigation. But remember, there's no such thing as election fraud. Elections can't even be stolen. Nothing bad can possibly happen out of an election. Just remember that as you go forward through your day. Wink, wink, Hong Kong. From CNN. For my Florida people. Florida Senate panel advances election bill that would ban drop boxes from Diane Gallagher. A Florida Senate panel on Wednesday voted to advance revamped election bill that would ban drop boxes used for mail-in ballots, among other changes, despite bipartisan opposition from local election supervisor. Committee substitute to Senate Bill 90, approved 4 to 2 along party lines, would also prohibit anyone other than immediate family members from picking up a voter's ballot, and would require vote-by-mail ballots to be requested each election cycle, rather than every two cycles. It increases the identification, uh, identification requirements to request a ballot by mail over the phone and prevents election supervisors from sending ballots to voters without a request. Totally based. The decision also comes as state lawmakers across the country, including Georgia, are pushing legislation to change election procedures and limit voter access in the aftermath of the 2020 election. Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis last month announced the voting proposals he wanted lawmakers to pass during the legislative session, including restricting access to ballot drop boxes and restricting mail-in ballots. And they like to use that word restricting because then they come come out and say, Well, vote suppression, look, they they just don't want brown people to vote. Look at these, look at, look how evil these people are. But yeah, this is is exactly what it's supposed to be. You go to your polling place, you drop off your ballot, you fill it out, you vote, you leave, you get on with your day. That's what it's supposed to be. I understand that back in March we were looking at this and saying, oh no, what are we going to do? Two million people... Two billion people on this planet are going to die from the commie fucking coup. This was back in March. So yes, we need to look into creative ways to get this one election done. But by November, we realized this was barely a blip on the radar. By November, we knew what was going on. I'm sorry. You can't tell me that by November we didn't have a good handle on this and Could figure out how to do this the proper way. But, you know, here we are. So, expect to see a lot more of this. And expect to see a lot more articles from CNN saying, Evil Republicans, we need HR 1 now. Evil, evil Republicans. They're trying to make sure that black and brown people can't vote. Don't worry. The Alderman have nothing to do with any of this. Oh look like the Rittenhouse thing is going on. Oh it got pushed back to November. Well, I guess we'll be talking about this in November. From the Hill Trump urges Herschel Walker to run for Senate in Georgia. From Tal Axelrod. Former President Trump is urging retired NFL star Herschel Walker to run against Senator Raphael Warnock in Georgia, touting a close ally in a crucial midterm election. Wouldn't it be fantastic if the legendary Herschel Walker ran for the United States Senate in Georgia? He would be unstoppable, just like he was when he played for the great Georgia Bulldogs and in and in the NFL, Trump said in a statement. He is also a great person. Run, Herschel, run. Walker, who played for various NFL teams from 85 to 97, has been a longtime friend of the former president following his stint with the USFL's New Jersey Generals, which Trump owned in his days on the president's Council on Sports, Fitness, and Nutrition. The former uh, football star has not publicly expressed any plans to run for the Senate in Georgia, but he did wade into politics during the Trump administration mainly to hold up the then-president. Walker mounted a full-throated defense of Trump last year at last year's Republican National Convention, saying he takes it as a personal insult that people think I would have a 37-year friendship with a racist. People who think that don't know what they're talking about, he said. Growing up in the Deep South, I've seen racism up close. I know what it is, and it isn't Donald Trump. Trump's endorsement of a possible bid by Walker is the latest indication He plans to lift up allies in midterm races across the country next year. He's already backed an array of candidates, most of whom have been loyal incumbents, though he has indicated he'll fight against Republicans who have not been supported. The former president has also already endorsed Max Miller, a former White House aide who's mounting a primary bid against Anthony Gonzalez of Ohio, and he vowed over the weekend to campaign against Senator Lisa Murkowski. Both Gonzalez and Murkowski backed Trump's impeachment over his role In inciting the January 6th, I can't say it's a riot. It's not a riot. That's what January 6th was. The Georgia seat held by Warnock is a top target for Republicans in their attempt to win back the Senate next year. Warnock won the seat in a special election that went to a January runoff by about two points and will have to run again in 2022 for a full six-year term. So, we'll see what happens with that. We'll see where that lands, and we'll see if we see Senator Herschel Walker. From the Daily Wire, Biden advisor appears to admit Biden-caused border crisis tells Spanish speakers border not closed by accident. Ambassador Roberta Jackson, National Security Council Coordinator for the U.S. southern border, appeared to admit during Wednesday's White House press conference that the Biden administration's policies have caused the crisis that's occurring at the southern border. Jacobson, while speaking Spanish in an effort to communicate with those who might be attempting to come to the U.S., said the border was not closed, remarks that she later took several minutes to correct. While speaking English, Jacobson did clearly state that the border was not open and stated that people should not make the dangerous trip to try and enter the U.S. in an irregular fashion. Let's have a listen.
2: yo oh, creo que es muy importante subrayar el caso que que la frontera no
0: No. She did say that.
2: Yo creo que es muy importante subrayar. El caso que, que
0: la frontera no está cerrada. La frontera no está cerrada. I mean, I'm not fluent in Spanish, but I know enough to say that, that that's not the border is not open. The border is not closed, is what she said. From my very, very limited purview of Spanish. A few minutes later, Jacobson gets it right. The border is closed. Why is to say it in Spanish and bypass filters and interpretations so long as you don't commit to any own goals.
2: And that leads me to want to reiterate, as I did before, que la frontera está cerrada. Y es, no es el momento, ningún momento, es apropiado de llegar a los Estados Unidos de manera irregular.
0: Yeah, she walked it back, but yeah. Do you think it's a coincidence that as soon as uh, Trump and his immigration policy were on the way out and Biden has and his stated policy were on the way in? This historic surge at the border started, Fox News reporter T- uh, Peter Doocy asked. It's a coincidence that as soon as Trump and his immigration policy were on the way out and Biden and his stated policy were on the way in, this historic surge at the border started?
2: Well, first of all, one of the things I think is important is we've seen surges before surges tend to respond to hope, and there was a significant hope for a more humane policy after four years of, you know, pent-up demand. So I don't know whether I would call that a coincidence, but I certainly think that the idea that a more humane policy would be in place may have driven people to make that decision, but perhaps more importantly, it definitely drove smugglers to express disinformation, to spread disinformation about what was now possible.
0: And we know that. that. If, if the change in administrations brought hope, then from your perspective, is this surge good? I,
2: I don't think that's what I just said. I think it's a reflection of how migrants feel at a particular time.
0: Yeah, that kind of is what you just said, though. So, well, that's what we have for that. Later, when pressed by CNN reporter Caitlin Collins about whether the administration would finally call what is happening at the southern border a crisis, Jacobson responded by saying that it doesn't matter what the administration calls it.
3: Telling them not to come, just to follow up quickly, you're telling them they should not come. Would you describe what's happening on the border as a crisis, given how these numbers are spiking so much week by week?
2: You know, I think the, I, I really, I'm not trying to be cute here, but I think the fact of the matter is we have to do what we do regardless of what anybody calls the situation. And the fact is we are all focused on improving the situation, on changing to a more humane and efficient system, and, and whatever you call it wouldn't change what we're doing because we have urgency from the president on down to fix our system and make sure that we are better at dealing with the hopes and the dreams of these migrants in their home country.
0: So that's what we're seeing on the border and what's going on with that and what the people are seeing from that. And yeah, it's great when the ambassador comes out and says, uh, oh yeah, the border is not closed. Oh, I mean, the border is closed. All right. Let's see what the Daily Mail has to say. Just like Joe, Kamala Harris ignores question about Andy Cuomo's sexual harassment scandal and Senator Kirsten Gillibrand refuses to answer whether he should step down as sixth woman comes forward. Kamala Harris has refused to speak out about Andrew Cuomo's sexual harassment scandal despite a sixth woman coming forward to accuse the New York governor of impropriety. Believe all women. The vice president was seen walking out of a press conference on Wednesday, appearing to ignore a reporter, who asked whether she would like to make a comment on the allegations. Despite loudly condemning Republicans, men accused of sexual misconduct, Harris has stayed silent about the claims leveled against the Democratic governor. And, by the way, her boss. Harris has instead left it to Press Secretary Jen Psaki to speak on her behalf. Last week, Psaki uh, stated, I think the Vice President's view is she believes a woman should be treated with respect. The voices should be heard. Let's see what we can do with this.
2: And he really put a lot of work and thought into this to do what this will do in terms of intergenerational impact. Lifting half of America's children out of poverty—it's a big deal. So thank you. Lifting half of America's children out of poverty—it's a big deal. So thank you.
0: Yeah, nothing to see here. Meanwhile, New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, who once spearheaded calls for Senator Al Franken to resign amid sexual misconduct allegations, was frustrated when asked the same question about Cuomo on Tuesday. Gillibrand bizarrely implied it was sexist to ask female politicians whether Cuomo should stand down. Yeah, it's sexist. Well, they don't want to get caught up in this. They don't want to imply something, and they don't want to get taken to task for this either. So, there you go. From MarketWatch... Russia slows down Twitter speed and demands removal of illegal content. From Pierre Brancone. The Russian government ordered on Wednesday a general slowdown of Twitter's connection speed after what it called systemic disregard of the requirement to remove content forbidden in Russia. The restrictions will affect 100% of mobile devices and 50% of stationary devices. Telecom regulator Roskomnadov... I'm not even going to try and butcher that name. Set in a statement. An official quoted on the Interfax news agency said the slowdown will concern video and pictures, not text. It will remain in place until Twitter has removed the incriminated content. If Twitter continues to disregard requirements of the law, the Russian regulator said further sanctions could be taken up to blocking the service altogether. But don't worry, they're totally free over there. Roskomnadzor alleges that since 2017... Twitter has failed to remove the content that encourages minors to commit suicide as well as child porn and the information about the use of narcotic drugs. Well, yeah, that's all fact-checked. True, Russian authorities had previously accused Twitter of harboring posts that it illegally urged children to take part in anti-Kremlin protests. Twitter did not immediately respond to a request for comment Reuters indicated on Wednesday morning. Yeah, well, they don't have any free speech over there either, but still... There's stuff on Twitter that is in violation of U.S. law. Certainly in violation of Russian law. And yeah, Russia shouldn't have to host a website over on its side if its creators are violating Russian law. But you should also have safeguards in place and different ways to change the way that Twitter looks based on the region. You've got that kind of technology, Dorsey. Put it into place. Well, that's a problem, Tim. And we're going to have to look into that. All right. Uh, let's see. I've got one here from Data Center Frontier. OVH data center in France destroyed by fire. All staff safe from Rich Miller. Hosting company OVH said its staff are safe after a fire destroyed one data center and damaged another at the company's campus in Strasbourg, France. All four data centers at the campus are offline this morning, but the company is working to restore some services once power can be restored to the site. We have we have a major incident on SBG2, OVH CEO Octave Klaba tweeted Tuesday evening. Firefighters were immediately on the scene but could not control the fire in SBG2. The whole site has been isolated, which impacts all the services in SGB 124. We recommend to activate your disaster recovery plan. Ha ha ha. Gleba later reported that everyone is safe, and that the fire had destroyed the SBG-2 structure and part of the adjacent SBG-1 building. So, as far as what's damaged from this, um, I don't know what OVH handles through here. I know there are some websites that are offline, and I believe there's some video game data that is knocked out as well. Um, It doesn't appear to have affected BitChute, which is something I regularly use that's run over in the EU, but... Uh, let see, fires that consume an entire data center building in this fashion are rare due to the industry standard use of data, fire, uh, center, data center fire suppression technology, which is designed to detect smoke and then deploy suppressants, either water or chemical agents, to extinguish the fire and contain the damage to a small area. The SBG2 facility is part of a campus that mixed traditional data center buildings with non-traditional designs featuring container data modules that were stacked to create server rooms in Strasbourg. OBH used containers to create a distinctive cube-shaped building design it had previously used in its initial campus in Rabai. sbg 2 was one of the traditional data center buildings that did not use the containers. So, and then this article does not go in to say what, uh, what exactly was contained in this server, but... If you run anything European, I would go double-check it and make sure that it's still running. Or maybe go see if your Fortnite server is still going. From the blaze, Apple refuses to let Parler back on its App Store until it complies with the guidelines. Because who didn't see that shit coming? From Carlos Garcia. Apple said it would not allow Parler back on the App Store after the company reviewed the content still available on the Social Media Alternative, according to documents reviewed by Bloomberg News. The rejection prompted Parler to fire all the iOS developers in the company had contracted. After having reviewed the new information, we do not believe these changes are sufficient to comply with the App Store review guidelines. Apple wrote to Parler, according to Bloomberg Report, there is no place for hateful, racist, discriminatory content on the App Store. Which... You can't be surprised. You can't be surprised by any of this. I mean, you can't get BitSlide on iOS. You can't get Gab on iOS. I don't think you can get Mines on iOS. I've never tried to do Mines, but they are so restrictive as to what goes on there. And there's no op- um, open source option for it like there is for uh, for Android. where you can go back and open source it and uh, put the game up onto your uh, device without being approved by Apple. There's no way to do it through Apple. So, yeah, you can't be surprised by something like this. And you really shouldn't be using an Apple device anyway at this point. I mean, yeah, it's kind of cool that they say that they're not going to put a backdoor in in spite of the fact that my co-hostess assures me that there's a backdoor in place for some of these things. But, yeah, you shouldn't be using Apple products. You really shouldn't. They control the data, they will keep you safe, and those who would uh, give up liberty for safety deserve neither. And I do use an Apple device too, by the way, but just for a music player. I've got my regular, uh, my uh, Galaxy Note 10 is sitting over here streaming out to Instagram, and I've got uh, two Galaxy tablets over here using as monitors. But yeah, it, it does make a good music player, but as far as just doing something for functionality, no, there's, there's no reason to use an Apple product anymore. Android is better, but not by much. Because they took BitSlide off the uh, Android store too, but uh, they're, they're just slightly better, plus they have open source availability, so people can go develop an app for it without having to be approved by Google as well. So a couple ways to look at this, a couple things to do with it, and a uh, couple things to see, but that's where we see for that. And that is it for the news for the day. And the last thing that we do on Thursday is a thing that I like and a thing that I hate. And then we head on out of here for the day. So, the thing that I like, number one. Now, generally, I don't do a lot of TV watching. I don't do a lot of movie watching. Everybody knows that. If I do turn on the TV, it's so I have background noise because I do live alone. And it's nice to actually hear something around while you're sitting here video editing or washing the dishes, or playing idle Miner on your phone while you're laying in bed. It's nice to have a little bit of background noise to go along with that. But I decided on the recommendation of The r Conservative that a couple weeks, a few weeks ago, I went and sat down and actually watched The Karate Kid for the first time in my life. And it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. So after that, on the recommendation, I sat down and watched Cobra Kai let me tell you for somebody who usually uses television shows as background noise this one is actually able to hold my full attention and it is amazing so let's look at the imdb page for a cobra kai tv series 2018 on to now and they did just get renewed for a fourth season the third season just dropped and they got renewed for a fourth season So, according to the description decades after their 1984 all Valley Tournament, a middle-aged Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence find themselves martial arts rivals again. And I really like the way the show is laid out. I really do. You know, you've got your regular teen drama stuff that goes along in there, like you would see on a 90210 or a Riverdale or something like that, where they have 25-year-old kids playing 16-year-old kids. You've got all that going along with it, but on the other side of that, you do see, and this When I was trying to write a novel, I was trying to write a novel in a point where there was no good guy or bad guy, where people were just trying to do what's best for them. For themselves, whether they were doing it the right way or not, they were just trying to do what they believed in. And there is a lot of that in Cobra Kai. There's no bad guy in Cobra Kai. Well, John Kreese is kind of a bad guy. And the developers have admitted that they're kind of just leaving him as a villain. But you do see the softer side of him. The fact that he was living homeless. Because he was struggling with the fact that he was a returning vet that didn't have a lot of options. And the VA had turned his back on him. You did see that side of him. But for the most part, he does remain a villain in a sense. But, you know, Daniel-san and Johnny Lawrence do switch back and forth between hero and villain regularly throughout the show. LaRusso's daughter... Um, Lawrence's son also switched back and forth, the villain, the hero, the main, uh, protagonist, Miguel Diaz has switched back and forth between the hero and the villain so many times throughout this. It really is a very, very humanizing sort of thing. There's no clear antagonist and protagonist. It's just, it's life. You make the decisions you think are best for your family and yourself and hope that they don't hurt other people. Or sometimes you do go out to hurt other people because you think that's going to be what's best for yourself or your family. So it's really amazing. If you haven't seen it already, and I know I'm kind of late to the party, but if you haven't seen it already, I do highly, highly, highly recommend it. All three seasons that are currently out are on Netflix. I am powering through the third season faster than I ever thought I would imagine getting through a TV series. I mean, hell, it took me four months to get through uh, Altered Carbon, which is a two season uh, TV series. And what was the other big one that I did that I liked that took me for it? The Man of the High Castle? I've been watching since election time last year because it was just throw something on and have background noise. Still know what's going on and have background noise, but this I'm just powering through this because it's, it's got my attention. I want to know what's going to happen next and I want to know are Daniel and Johnny going to be friends or are they going to be enemies at the end of the episode? So I'm going to be, this is one of the few that I'm going to be bummed when I get uh, run out of episodes. So that's what we see from that. Now let's do a thing that I hate. We've talked about the difference in reporting between the last presidency and this presidency. And this is an actual article that was written and came out from the Hill. And this is the kind of reporting that we're going to see after the dog bite incident and after the fact that Kamala won't take questions and Joe Biden has no idea where he is, what's going on, and the fact that he, they have to cut off his uh, live feeds before he can take questions and say something stupid. Jen Pisacchi reports Biden's pet cat will break the internet when it arrives. From Dominic Mastrangelo. Why is this headline Hill News with 27.98 shares? President Biden's spokespersons predicted on Tuesday that once the first family brings a cat into the White House as planned, the animal will become an internet sensation. Well, you know, we don't have an update on the cat, Jen Saki told reporters. Is this the one? Let's listen. Let's get rid of that.
3: What? This can't be real. This is real. I'm Jen Psaki, the White House Press Secretary. In my first tweet, I asked all of you to send me questions. So today I'm going to answer them. Will you take the hard questions from reporters in stride for transparency? Yes, that's my no. goal. Cool. Um, I, when I talked to President Biden, then President-elect Biden, about uh, the opportunity to be the White House press secretary, one of the things we talked about was the tone and the importance of taking things in stride and uh, being even keeled and calm. Will there be help for those of us who can't work because of COVID? Yes, that is absolutely our goal. If you are one of the millions of Americans who are filing for unemployment insurance, who are worried about not having a job, who are trying to pay your mortgage, We are trying to provide relief. There's some executive actions that the president signed, which means he can uh, put the delay of paying student loans in place uh, easily through an action that doesn't require Congress, but we also have a big COVID relief package that he's trying to work with Democrats and Republicans. First feline updates would be greatly appreciated. I'm also wondering about the cat. Because the cat is going to dominate the internet whenever the cat is announced and wherever that cat is found. What are the plans for the Biden administration on Zach
0: The cat. The cat's going to break the internet, you guys. Never mind the fact that we're sitting here, people are still jobless. We just spent another $2 trillion that we had to go out and borrow from China. But the cat, you guys, the cat. So, and it is. This fluff piece fucking reporting and you know that if we were sitting in a different letter after the name of the administration, it would be something completely different. It would be gulf and evil and going to Mar-a-Lago and Coup and megatards and all this other kind of stuff. But here it's just, oh, the cat. Oh, look, look how cute Major is. Oh, I guess he's just going to have to go back home to Delaware. So... That's what I hate here, the fact that they, they aren't going to report. And you know, people, I'm glad that we have the opportunity, though, because they're not going to go and report on the Biden administration. So that gives me the opportunity to report on the Biden administration and everything that's going to come from that. And that's going to be it for the day. So we're going to head on out of here for the day. We'll be back here tomorrow for more contemporary, more cool stuff. And hope you guys will come back and join me. So thanks everybody who came by and chatted here. Looks like everybody's kind of showing up late in the part of here, but that's kind of cool. Thanks to, uh, we will uh, see you here tomorrow, 7.45 a.m. for more Contemporary, and make sure that if you are just lurking, you get those last-minute messages in so we can get you up and thanked at the end of the week, because I can still do that because we still got a low enough viewership rate that I can personally thank you guys all individually. Looking forward to doing that as well. Always love to take some time and read your comments and see what you guys do. So. From that, we're going to head on out of here. Thanks again. We'll be back here tomorrow for more Contemporary. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary.